Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you are doing fantastic. This is episode 57 of the Quickie Podcast, and thank you for spending some of your time here. My guest today is Jason Sturgill from Portland, Oregon. He is an illustrator, a designer, a talented artist, and he has one unique story, that's for sure. His entrance to the creative field was through skateboarding, and he was actually a DJ for his college radio station back in the day. Fast forward to university, and he started his own record label and was the head of entertainment for the university. His record label actually put together a CD for Modest Mouse in the early days of Modest Mouse. It was a cool story to hear. The other unique part of Jason's story is that he was recently, two years ago, diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. He shares the challenges with that, what that was like, how it was affecting his career and his life, and how it just added to the ups and downs of you know the creative field in general. He talks about how he's done some of his best work, his most inspiring work since being diagnosed and dealing with it and addressing, you know, the disorder. It's a really fascinating, interesting story. And I find, you know, he's very inspirational. I love what he says. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into this one. And what a great story for my guest, Jason Sturgill. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Jason. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being on the show, man. You ready to go with the Quickie here? Yeah, that sounds great. Perfect. We'll dive right in. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. All right. Well, my name is uh, Jason Sturgill. I'm an illustrator, designer, artist from Portland, Oregon. And yeah, I've uh, kind of grown up here, lived here my whole life. Awesome. And family life, what do you got going on there? Married, one kid, uh, nine-year-old. Yeah, that's the... Happy days. That's the fam. <laughs> boy, girl? Uh, boy. His name's uh, Archer. Awesome. Yeah, my two oldest uh, are girls. My youngest is a boy. And the difference between raising two little girls first and then having a little boy, there's big differences. Oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, awesome. So I want to go even further back. And I want to ask you about your childhood and sort of start the counseling session here. Um, <laughs> what was your childhood like? And do you feel that you had a creative childhood? Yeah, it's it's funny that you follow that after asking about my son because I think my son is w- way more exposed to creative and and that whole world than I ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't really have, and it's funny too. I you know reflected on that you know recently, and I and I usually say that I didn't have a creative childhood, um, and I wasn't part of a creative family or anything like that for sure. Um, but I think the creative sort of, I think when I first, uh, probably became, uh, kind of interested in creative or 
kind of subconsciously it was when i you know began skateboarding in middle school mm-hmm. and the you know that experience of of being a skateboarder and doing different tricks and and um trying to learn new tricks or invent your own tricks that type of thing um yeah that was sort of i think the first time i sort of was being creative myself Gotcha. So skateboarding, learning new tricks, hitting up the skate park. Yeah, I mean, and we didn't even really have skate parks back then. It wasn't that <laughs> mainstream. It was definitely <laughs> the thing that was sort of looked down upon and um, made fun of to some degree. So, um, yeah, and I didn't grow up drawing or anything like that. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I feel like you hear most designers and artists and everything like, oh, I couldn't stop drawing. I always had a pencil or pen in my hand, that type of thing. And and that definitely wasn't the case for me. Mm -hmm. So then what would you think would be being a parent now and, you know, a very creative parent, how would you, how are you introducing the creative world to your son? Um, trying to do it as little as possible in terms of like, um, making it a big thing. I think early on, I tried to like get him involved in, you know, drawing with me and things like that. And I, I sort of soon realized that the more I tried to do that, the more it kind of pushed him away. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and uh, for whatever reason, really early on, he was like super self-conscious about that stuff and would get really upset that, you know, when he was drawing, it wasn't coming out the way he wanted or, or things like that. And mm-hmm. I think the main kind of exposure for him is just, our lives and and like where we you know what we surround ourselves with in terms of um our house um and you know our friends and the things that we uh pay attention to in terms of going to art shows and stuff like that so i think he thinks that's the world and that's normal to some degree so yeah that's cool what a unique um way to you know area to be brought up in um because my childhood is not like that for sure yeah. And and my wife is kind of a different story. Her parents are both artists and so she has the complete other experience. Yeah, she came from like the other the hardcore art side. Yeah. Got it. So, I'm curious now, you know, the moment when you first started to notice design out in the world. Um what did you start seeing and was it related to that skateboarding world that you were immersed in? Yeah, I mean, I think without really knowing that design was a thing or that you could you know, be a designer or that word even. Um, I think skateboarding was definitely the first thing in terms of graphics on skateboards. That Mm -hmm. was sort of like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, as an adult now picking out, you know, wine or beer based on packaging, it was like, that was the first thing I looked at on skateboards is, you know, beyond who the, the pro was, it's like, what does their graphic look like? And, if the graphic wasn't good and even though if I like the skater, it's like, I wouldn't buy that skateboard. Mm-hmm. So you found one that like just resonated with you and like, mom, this one's speaking to me. This is the one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what has been the most influential design of your life so far? Um, are there something you've seen or something you've been a part of? Yeah. So I think the thing that, um, really kind of opened my eyes to design and, and made it seem possible for me to even entertain the idea of, of getting into the field was um, 
when I was in undergrad, I uh, had a, um, a show on the college radio station. And I've always been really interested in music and kind of always my life has kind of been surrounded by music. That was sort of my, my go-to thing. Um, and um, as I was DJing, I started, you know, really paying attention to a lot of the smaller indie labels um, and kind of seeing how, how that community was. And there was a, a record label in particular called Double Agent Records that mm-hmm. I was fa- fascinated with, um, you know, and beyond the music, um, their artwork for all their, um, all their releases w- was amazing. And it was all... Um, sort of art directed and designed by you know the, this one person show, mm-hmm. and um, so at, you know at one point I finally just reached out to him. This is kind of like the beginning of email and and having that kind of access to connect with people, and so I you know just sent him an email and was like, "How do you do this?" Basically, and that was back when everybody answered emails. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Awesome. What kind of response did you get? Was it a you know a big long chapter where you sort of went into the secrets, or what was it like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I asked some pretty directed questions at that point because um, I was you know interested in record labels and music and people that did that sort of thing. And through talking with one of my professors, um, I found out that I could get college credit for starting a business. Oh, cool. Uh, so um, I ended up, you know, taking out a loan at my local credit union and um, decided that I wanted to start a record label um, and then reached out to, to that uh, double agent records, um, Peter Green. And, um, you know, he gave me kind of all of the information that I needed to know in terms of like manufacturing and distribution, things like that. So, mm-hmm. so did you actually start a record label? Yeah, yeah. Back in, uh, I guess it was probably 1997. Okay, what did you call your record label? Hit or Miss Records. Hit or Miss Records, nice. Yeah. And you had artists under you? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the impetus of it as well. Um, I had been putting on all the shows at my uh, college, and, um, you know, I was part, I was the head of the entertainment committee. So, you know, they, they gave me like $20,000 a year. I had to book all the bands and whatever, comedy, all that type of stuff. And so I was being um, exposed to a lot of people and meeting a lot of people in the industry. Um, and then also just going to like house shows in, in the small town that the university was located in. And one of the house shows that I went to, this band called Modest Mouse um, was yep. playing in, in the you know basement of some dingy house in this college <laughs> town. And, um, you know, I asked them if they would play a show, like a bigger show for the university mm-hmm. as, and they were actually opened up. They were, I think the first band on the bill. Um, and, you know, after when I, you know, talked to them that second time, I, I was like, do you, you know, would you guys be interested in, in putting out a record with me basically? Um, so that was, yeah, the first thing that's kind of what started it all. So you ended up putting out a record for Modest Mouse under your label? Yeah, yeah. What yeah, the that's, heck? <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of the thing that, I mean, I think that was also the thing that kind of got me in the door for jobs and, and mm. not because of who the band was, because 
back then nobody knew who the band was still, mm-hmm. especially, you know, people at agencies and stuff. But just the the fact that I, you know, on my own outside of classes, like put together, you know, this business without yeah. even having really an experience in it. You built a business. I mean, not really, because it definitely wasn't uh, profitable. <laughs> uh, I didn't make any money and I was spending more money on the packaging and um, promotion of the bands than I was inter- getting back. Mm-hmm. So after the second release, um, I had spent so much money on the packaging that I kind of went under. Um, so, <laughs> But you put yeah. out some awesome packaging. That's what's important here. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, that was another thing that just kind of kept on pushing me towards doing design on my own. Got it. That's cool, man. Yeah. So I'm curious then, do you have a designer or a brand that you look up to or closely follow that you stick to still? And what about them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think before I even, um, I mean, because illustration definitely came late in my career. I haven't even been doing it that long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always been a fan of artists and um, illustrators, designers, and and sort of uh, did a lot early on around curating and kind of using that to kind of meet some of my heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, James Darvis is, I think, one of the people that I, I looked up to the most, and I still, you know, to this day follow his career. And um, he's just always been a big flu- influence. And um, met him a few years back, and um, you know, it's always amazing too when these people that you look up to are you know, equally as good of a person as their work. So totally. That's what I was going to ask. Was it like the big design celebrity where he didn't have time a day for you or yeah, it was a pretty good meeting. No, it was, it was amazing. Um, I was, he lives in London and I was, um, you know, I went over there to participate in, a um, this comics and art festival mm-hmm. and I was, you know, had a table and gave a talk and all that. And, reached out to him and he wasn't actually involved in in the festival or anything, but I was like, you know, I'm coming here. I would love to meet up and get coffee or whatever. And he actually invited um, me and my wife over to his house and we went in his backyard and he had baked scones for us and everything. And that's so, that's so English, right? Yeah, no, just had this um, amazing time. That is cool. What a cool experience, man. Yeah. Um, so I got a few questions here now that take you down some of the lessons that you might have learned through this journey so far, um, you know, through some of the challenges that you've had. And I really just want to share those with the audience to show that one, everybody goes through them. And, yeah. you know, maybe there's some some advice that you got, you know, just in how you made it through. Yeah. Um, so what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging, and how did you get through it? Yeah, it's uh, interesting timing for this question because it's actually something that I've been uh, working through recently. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, it was uh, last year, um, and actually, it was you know 2017, mm-hmm. um, late 2017. I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar. Oh no, um, bipolar two, and. Um, yep. It kind of explained a lot in terms of uh, just sort of the my life and kind of how 
uh, things had been up until that point, mm-hmm. which was great because I was able to put a name to it and, and kind of address it. But um, it took a long time to get on the proper medication and see the right people. And mm-hmm. it's it's a really hard thing to kind of uh, get you know, I mean, it's funny because I had seen doctors before and it took that long to to get that um, diagnosis, which, you know, made more sense than anything that I'd heard up to that point. And so, Is that yeah. something that you suspected and were just looking for confirmation for or was that totally new to you? Yeah, it was totally new. I mean, I think up until that point, I just thought I was going through these kind of depressed episodes and I Mm -hmm. kind of I wasn't seeing the other side of it in terms of the kind of mania and the manic side of it Mm -hmm. and and since I have um, bipolar 2 and not 1 it's it's a lot more subtle in terms of uh, the the kind of hints at at what you're going through just because the the mania kind of shows itself in this kind of very sort of productive and um, just having lots of energy and, and doing getting lots of things done and, and possibly, mm-hmm. you know, doing things outside of the realm of, of what people might, you know, attempt. Yeah, not that stereotypical, you know, crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean just you like definitely, heavily focused and Yeah. And I and I think, you know, there's people that you see, um and I, I also think that, you know, there's quite a history of creative people that have had, you know, this condition and um, w- when you see bipolar one people, there's, you know, been lots of very successful people in that regard, but they'll go kind of to the extreme. I think, I don't know exactly if Kanye West has bipolar one, but I'm, I'm kind of, <laughs> uh, assuming that. Yeah. Just because a lot of, you know, when he is ramped up in the mania, it, it's way more extreme, I think, than, than other cases that you hear. So what is the the difference between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 because I hadn't actually heard that there were were differences. Yeah, I mean, bipolar 1 is is definitely on the more extreme end of it and it it kind of manifests its way into a lot more kind of I don't know if you want to call it like antisocial behavior or whatever, but um you know, behavior that's a lot more damaging mm-hmm. um to, you know, people around you and yourself in terms of like whatever like um i think they say you know being sort of careless with money or um you know just kind of uh behavior that has a lot of more repercussions with people around you and and less um and and more noticeable in terms of like you know when you hear people like think about people with bipolar and they're like oh they're crazy or whatever it's like because they're doing these things that are so sort of outlandish mm-hmm. um and in my case with bipolar 2 it's just like i think people see when i when i've had my sort of uh times with mania it's like oh wow they're really ambitious and um you know they're they're very focused and and uh, determined at what they want to do got it got it that's interesting that's good to know because um i, I hadn't known that so education yeah i mean and it's it's funny too because Kanye West's uh, you know most recent album co- cover says um, I hate being po- bipolar. It's awesome, and because I think a lot of people that are bipolar love the sort of energy that they get from the mania and, and how it fuels a lot of their creativity. Mm-hmm. 
crazier. That's it's good to know about that. There's two different kinds though, and my um, two out of three of my kids are diabetic, but type one diabetic, um, mm. which is primarily kids, and where you you need to have insulin and medic you need to have medication by insulin to live. Um, yeah. Whereas type two, you can sometimes manage without insulin, and that primarily happens in adults um, and mm. older folks. So, no, it's good to know that there was two different kinds there. Yeah, yeah. So I want to go to a specific designer project that you were a part okay. of that did not go well or bring the desired result. And what was that like? How did that feel? Yeah. Um, so again, that is, you know, something sort of really recent. And, and during this time where I was struggling with um, the diagnosis and trying to get, you know, the proper attention that it deserved and everything. Mm-hmm. So um at last year, I was asked um, by um, you know a, a hotel um, to do some work for them, um, and I, you know, was just beginning to try to seek help and, and figure all that stuff out. And I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to you know address all the my work that I had at the same time, and mm-hmm. and that was in particular a project that I was really excited about, um, and. You know, through through kind of struggling with everything else, I kind of just had to let them know that I wasn't able to do the project, and it was just really disappointing. And I think that was one of the things that kind of contributed to this sort of downward spiral that I was um, already going into. Um, so yeah, it it, w- it was definitely a rough one. Mm-hmm. So what happened in the in the end of the project? Like, did the I mean, basically, I just let them know that I wasn't able to do it. I, I didn't go into a lot of specifics with them, but okay. I was like, uh, you know, I'm, I was about to leave for Europe with my family, and um, there was, you know, just a lot going on. So I was just like, I mean, I think I mentioned I had some health issues that needed to be addressed, and and all of that as well. So, and they were super understanding, and I ended oh, up doing good. some some work with them, you know, later on, and kind of continue to have a relationship with them. So that's that's been great. So did you feel that, you know, having to step back from that opportunity, was that, you know, did that sort of compound and pile on to what you were already battling with? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I had a a few experiences at that time where I was just like, just felt like the world was coming down on me and and that I wasn't going to be able to recover from it. And I just didn't see any sort of um, light at the end of the tunnel sort of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. But now you're in the light at the end of the tunnel, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I've been doing, continued to doing work, and I've done some of the best work um, of my career, I think, um, you know, after kind of coming out of that and feel really sort of stable right now. So So that actually is a great segue into the next question where I want to turn this bus around. Um, Yeah. Tell us about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, the one that makes your heart sing or the biggest design feather in your cap. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really in that sort of um, design feather in your cap sort of um, mode. But uh, I, I last year I was asked to do a project with um, Muji. I don't know if you're familiar with the brand no. Muji. So they're kind of a giant brand in Japan, and I'm sort of uh, obsessed with Japan. I've I've gone there several times, and cool. um, 
and and I think that was actually the first time I was uh, exposed to the brand. And and since then, they've you know opened up several stores in the U.S. Um, I think New York, uh, San Francisco, and and more recently uh, Portland. And um, you know, I was asked to kind of be one of the representatives. I, I think um, you know they hired some local design firms and stuff like that. Um, and they hired me as an artist to um, create this sort of exclusive packaging for the Portland store. Cool. Um, and yeah, so that was a, a huge deal for me. And um, yeah, it was it was great. Was it just ret- retail packaging for specific items, or was it a special Portland only release, or what was it exactly? Yeah, it was a special Portland only release. There, one of the so they're uh, kind of I don't know if you call it like a department store. They kind of their their whole sort of um, thing is that they make really simple products. Like mm-hmm. there's not, it's very minimalist design, but they're really well made and and they're things that you know they're hoping will kind of like last a lifetime. And and they're also known for their stationery. That's another big thing. Their kind of pens and stationery are a big part of it. And they do furniture and even have a uh, like a prefab house that they've designed. Um, mm-hmm. So, but one of the other things that they're really well, well known for is their um, essential oils and their diffusers that they make um, oh, cool. uh, to use with those. And so it was a special Portland-only edition of uh, essential oil that was in two cents. And so I, I um, did the design for the packaging for the two cents. That's cool, man. Yeah. What a fun project. So you have those you know, boxes up around your house too? Yeah, I've got kind of a, a little stash that I've got set away and, and we use it and all that stuff. Awesome. So what is one design product, tool, website, or community that you just can't live without? Um, yeah, I think social media has definitely uh, had a big impact on my career. I think early on it was Flickr that was things that connected with the people yep. in in the um, community and had a big effect. But um, as of now, I would definitely say Instagram. I, I don't think I would have had a lot of the opportunities that I've um, you know received. And you're a great example of that. Like I don't know if you found my work on Instagram, but yep. most people kind of reach out to me through that. Um, and it's yeah, it's been kind of career changing for sure. That's cool. So when did you sort of officially start and really focus on Instagram? Um, I think, I mean, as soon as I was exposed to it, and it's it's kind of funny because I kind of pride myself a lot on being an early adopter of things, and I'm always kind of seeking out sort of the new thing, whatever it is, be music or, you know, technology, that kind of thing. And But it was my mother-in-law who <laughs> shared with me the app like early on when it kind of was just gaining um, attention or whatever. And so she was the one that kind of first put me onto it. And then ever since, like that was kind of, it was just a great outlet. I mean, it was kind of similar to Flickr in a way in terms of just being an easy way to share work. And so Mm -hmm. kind of just dived right into it. Jason, that's awesome. So I'm now at the point of the show where I've got an ask it forward question from my previous guest. And then you have an opportunity to ask a question of the next guest. Okay, cool. So my previous guest was Nathan Yoder. He's a very talented illustrator and designer. 
kind of a big deal on Instagram as well, much like yourself. Yep. Um, do you, and he wanted to ask, do you, st- actually, sir, go ahead. It's, oh, it's funny. Cause, um, I believe it's, he lives in Seattle, right? Yep. Yeah. So he used to live in Portland and I've met him. He actually he came and printed, printed with me and he, yeah, I will, att- uh, agree with you. He's a great guy and does great work. That's hilarious. I had no idea. Yeah. Again, small design world, man. <laughs> there <laughs> it is again. Yeah. Um, he wanted to ask the next guest. He didn't know who it would be. Um, but do you still use pencil and paper to get your work started was part one. Yep. Perfect. And do you feel that there's value in that for the customer rather than going straight into the digital world? Yeah. Um, so um, from the beginning, when I first started doing illustration, that was definitely not the case. Uh, I was not comfortable with analog tools at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it took me a while to to use that. I, I would say now I'm definitely much more comfortable um, with using, and I, I, you know, I normally have a sketchbook in my pocket, pens, all that stuff um, to just kind of do things with, and. You know, projects like Muji, that Muji project was actually all done by hand and scanned in. But um, lately, I've, I've just been kind of going straight to the iPad for, for a lot of work. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I still use it. Um, and the f- second part, um, I think a lot more people are, are working by hand. And I think for a while there, digital work was so prevalent and all over the place that I think um, things done by hand were, were starting to gain interest in people and, and wanting that look. And even if people are doing it digitally now, I feel like they're using tools that make things look like they were done by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like the pendulum's actually swung a lot the other way. Um, yeah, good point. And I've seen actually sort of a growing movement on Instagram of people sharing more of the process rather than yeah. just, you know, the beautiful finished result. Yeah, and the, the, that's, I think, yeah, I think that's amazing. I think people are, have for too long been been guarded about the way that they do things. Mm-hmm. Great. So, Jason, now's your opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but you can ask them anything you want. Cool. Um, so I think my question would be... Um, what is your inspiration outside of art and design? Um, I, I think a lot of people kind of go to those those things in terms of when people ask them like what their inspiration is, that that's a lot of times the focus. But I think what's more interesting and I think also what's more informative is the things that they do outside of design and art and, and what fuels their passions. You know, that's an interesting question. I used to ask something similar to that in earlier on episodes, and it was a question that just kind of fell off the list. Um, but a couple of our earlier guests, um, more than a couple actually, had all mentioned um, getting outside and just being outside and influenced by everything that they see outside. It could be buildings in a city. It could be nature on a walk. But so, yeah, that's a really good one. I'm going to ask that for the next guest. Cool. Um, you made it to the lightning round now. Oh, yeah. I've got 10 quick questions for you. Most of them not really design related, but it's an opportunity for you to sort of flex your personality a little bit and let us know a little bit more about yourself. 
Sounds great. Um, the last before I do that, do you have your phone nearby? Yes. Do you want to open up your camera roll just in uh, preparation? That would be great. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Um, all right. Well, question one: one of the what is one of your nicknames that only your parents would know? Ooh. Um, I guess uh, my mom uh, calls me JG, or did a lot when I was growing up, and. Yeah, not a lot of people know that. That's my first and, and middle initial. Nice. <laughs> um, say one word in a different language. Ooh, konnichiwa. Perfect. <laughs> That's the first one that comes to mind. Yep. Yeah. Um, describe the last picture you took with your phone in only one or two words. Oh, I have to like look back here for a minute because my first ones aren't... Um, Photos. Um, let's see. Uh, son's artwork. Perfect. You have one superpower. What do you choose? Ooh. Um, I think... Uh, what is that called? I think it would be like teleportation. Right on. Yeah. Um, would you ask for permission or ask for forgiveness later? Uh, forgiveness for sure. Uh, favorite Disney character? Ooh, um, I'll go with, um, Pluto. Pluto. That's a classic. Um, yeah. So you had mentioned teleportation. If you could time travel, what year would you go back to first? Yeah, I, re- I remember you asking that, and it's funny because I I don't think I would go to the past if I, I was able to time travel. I think I would definitely go into the future. So, what year would you go to first? I guess would be the way to ask it. Um, I don't think I would go too far into the future because uh, I think that kind of scares me a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, I think I would maybe just go twenty years into the future. That's a good number. Yeah. What is the last song that you listen to, being that music guy, ex-producer? Yeah. Um, oh, that's a tough one because the last song I listened to, which was just this morning, uh, wasn't, I think, representative necessarily. Like, I, I like to, when I talk about music, I'd rather talk about kind of unknown and, and lesser, uh, you know, talked about groups or things that, people are aware of but so but the last song that i listened to was uh frank ocean nike oh Nikes. cool it's good to be eclectic yeah. Jason. Um, yeah yeah last question is you have to start over in your design career everything you have ever mm. done has been erased from history except for one project oh what is it and why well i think a lot of um my work and sort of the things that have, um, you know, pushed me forward and connected were thing were projects that connected me with other people and, mm-hmm. and were collaborative projects. So I would say um, this project that I did in grad school, where I um, invited a bunch of uh, other illustrators, designers, um, people I respected to go into the Portland Art Museum mm-hmm. and and pick a piece from the museum to base a uh, tattoo design off of. Cool. And and then we did um, free tattoos at the museum 
and actually had tattoo artists come in and and give tattoos of these designs. That's so Portland. <laughs> yeah, and there's actually like a, a short film on my website of that project, and it's it's one of my most favorites, kind of like documented pieces of my work. Jason, that's awesome. You made it to the end of the Quickie Podcast, man. Awesome. It was super fun. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much for your time on the show this morning. It was great having you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate it. Guys, your mental health is so important. If you are not feeling yourself, you're not feeling happy, you can't shake a funk, or you suspect there might be something going on, please phone a mental health hotline. Go see your doctor. Um, look after it. Mental health is so important. Thank you so much for listening. Again, have a fantastic day, and we'll see you tomorrow.